life story and his background, you'll find that um, he's not from around these parts, and neither am I, so we'll, well, we won't find out about me, but we'll find out about Dave today. Um, so he's going to chat to us, and then he, I'm going to ask him to speak to us um, on our topic uh, that we've kind of raised today, or our question, which is, uh, if Christmas is, is fine, but why do we have to make such a big deal about Jesus and sort of ruin it uh, with him? So Dave, let's get to know you a little bit for, for a few minutes. Um, where are you from originally? Well, g'day everyone. Lovely to see you all. Um, I'm not from New Zealand. I'm far too good looking to be from New Zealand. Um, I'm from Australia, the second greatest country in the earth. Um, so I'm from Australia, from Sydney, uh, born and bred there. Um, and we've lived, my wife and I and our five kids have lived here uh, for just nearly exactly two years. Two years. Okay. Yeah. The, the accent development is coming well, on. Actually, what I've began to pick up, I don't know if you... Northern Irish people here know this, but this is a country, I haven't started to copy the accent so much, but more the mannerisms. So, for example, it took me a year to learn how to nod hello to someone correctly in the street, that it wasn't this, it was, not that. <laughs> it took me a year to learn how to say goodbye on the phone. It wasn't as simple as saying, see you later. It was, bye, 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 And then, uh, well, uh, uh, mm, I think it's a nation of Tourette's. You know, you just go, uh, uh, uh. Uh, and so I've picked those sort of things up, but I, I'm holding fast to my uh, broad Australianness as far as yeah, I can. Fantastic. Yeah. You're clearly a proud Australian. Uh, yes, <laughs> of course. What would you say is Australia's sort of greatest export? Uh, I, I mean, I was sort of thinking of coffee. Would you say New Zealand, the flat white? Or what, what, what's Australia got to offer? Oh, Sam, please. Um, listen, how long do we have? Uh, mainly, mainly, I would say uh, cricket. Um, we, we, does anyone here support England in the cricket? I mean, you know, boo, boo, we can all agree. Uh, England invented cricket and then ruined it. Uh, we took it and perfected it, uh, like most other things. Um, I reckon, if anything that we've produced to the world, that particularly the United Kingdom uh, have held in the greatest esteem, has been terrible television, so home and away, neighbours, uh, these kinds of things, they're probably our greatest expert, to be honest, mainly because we keep all the good stuff at home uh, in Australia with us, so that's our end it. Great, OK. I was, I was Rugby coaches... That. Yep. Nearly going to have to draw you to a close there, but that's, that's good. Um, David, uh, tell us a little bit then about, about your, sort of your background. You grew up, up in a Christian home yeah. in Australia. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what that was like. So for those of you who've been to Australia uh, will know, Australia's probably spiritually more like uh, England, Scotland or Wales than it is like Northern Ireland. By that I mean people stopped going to church traditionally around the 1950s. Uh, that didn't happen to my family. My parents actually converted in the 1950s from non-Christian families. Um, so I was brought up in a family. My dad's a minister um, and they really were the real deal. They really loved Jesus and we were brought up with it. But for me, that, that wasn't a reality. Um, I believed in the death and resurrection of Jesus, maybe like you do here today, but it had around the same relevance in my life as the murder of Julius Caesar. It really didn't mean anything. So from a fairly young age, um, I started doing what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted, with whom I wanted. Uh, and that led to me getting a girl pregnant when I was 19. Uh, let me assure you, that was a terrific conversation to have with my parents. Uh, was, if anyone's been through that, you will, it was awfully traumatic. Um, I 
was without a job and as a father at 19. Uh, and I was on a bus one day and I saw an advertisement for the army, the Australian army. And I thought, well, uh, I'm desperate. And it turns out most people who join the army are desperate. Uh, so I went up and, um, and I, I signed up. So I, I found myself at the age of 20 uh, as an officer in the Australian infantry. Um, by the age of 21, I had two children. 21 and a half, I was divorced. Um, my ex-wife is from County Donegal. Does anyone know Letterkenny? Uh, if you know Letterkenny, a beautiful part of the world. And that's where they've lived for the last 17, uh, 15 or 16 years, I should say. Um, between 21 to 28, I did what I wanted, how I wanted. I was a young army officer. Uh, and so I pursued every uh, avenue of satisfaction available to a young man with no restraint. Um, but one day I woke up, Sam, uh, it was around 10 years ago, um, living in a part of Australia called Darwin. And I just began to ask the question, what is it all about? It, my life hadn't fallen apart. The opposite, I was achieving everything I ever wanted. Um, but it was like drinking salt water to get replenished. It just never satisfied me. And it began to have a bitter aftertaste. Um, I called up a guy I knew who was a Christian in the army, and there was hardly any of them. It was not a popular thing to be a God-botherer in the army. And I called him up, and I asked him about Christianity. I told him about everything I'd done. And friends, uh, to be perfectly frank with you, I was a real piece of work. I told him about my adultery. I told him about the abortions, the anger, the violence, the hatred, um, I said, these things have got me out of being a Christian. What do I need to do to balance it out? And he explained to me, he went to me to a part of the Bible um, which explained why Jesus died. And it shook me to the core. It said that Jesus died for sinners whilst they were sinners. It's from the book of Romans. I thought Jesus had died for good people. I really didn't know why. But he explained that my sin did not disqualify me from God's love. It qualified me for his grace. Um, and on that day, that was it. I became a Christian. I said, mate, this is true. I get it. It's real. And that was around 10 years ago. Obviously, my life's been perfect since then. I've had no dramas. Uh, things are terrific. I'm kidding. My life's still been a mess. Um, but I know a great God who loves me despite it. Yeah. So, tell us just very, perhaps very briefly. Tell us, did you immediately then want to go and work in the church? Like, <laughs> like your dad? And was there a little bit of a... No, not really. I, I, I wanted to tell people about Jesus immediately because I thought it was the best thing I'd ever heard. I'd never got it before and I got it. Um, but I still probably viewed ministers as wasters and, um, uh, yeah, I won't say what else. But, you know, not because my dad is. I just had that impression. But I began to realise, Sam, that, uh, listen, I was telling people about Jesus more and more. I found it the most passionate, zealous, like, awesome way to live. And eventually, I was getting so much you know, trouble for it at work, I thought, I might as well get paid to do this. And I went into it. So around seven years ago, I became a, a minister. Uh, and I worked in a high school, then in a church in a very working class part of Sydney. Um, before uh, two years ago, applying for a job here, I'm now remarried with three more little boys. And so my wife and I have moved over here for two reasons. One, we love Belfast. We love Northern Ireland. Um, but secondly, my kids are close. So we're in an attempt to be closer to all of us together. Uh, that's why we moved out. That's great. That's yeah. great. Well, as you can tell, uh, Dave's probably someone, I think, who will have a good insight into our, into our topic. Uh, Christmas is great, but why uh, spoil it with Jesus? So, Dave, will you speak to us on that for, for a bit, and then I'll come up and um, say something else. That's terrific. Thanks very much, Sam. Uh, friends, thank you so much for having me. I hope you can all understand me. If you can't, I'm sorry I can't do anything about it, uh, but you know what it's like to be me for a little while. I just nod along to most Belfast conversations. I wonder if you ever know anyone or if you've known anyone who always misses the point. 
Do you know anyone like that? Someone who focuses on minor, insignificant details whilst missing beautiful things in front of them. My mother has just been visiting us from Sydney, and she is someone just like that. She's a type of person you take her to the Giant's Causeway, you know, the jewel of the crown, one of the natural wonders of the world, and she will stand at the top of the hill, you know where I mean, overlooking this incredible sight, and she'll go, where's the gift shop? Have you paid for parking? Why are there so many tourists here? Mum is constantly obsessed with minor details and in so doing misses the major things in front of her. I reckon when it comes to Christmas, many of us do the exact same thing. We focus on minor side issue details or we get so wrapped up, so to speak, in so many of the other things taking place that we can lose sight of what's really happening. You've got on your table one of these Uh, Gospel of Luke's. Everyone pick this up, please, on your table. You should have a white one or a green one. And turn with me to page 8. Page 8, which is Luke chapter 2. This is one of the biographies of Jesus we have in the Bible, written by a guy called Luke. And I want you to pay close attention to the amount of detail and background colour that Luke, the author, gives to the story of the birth of Jesus. Just go down to verse 6. We've got the story of Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem. And then sentence number six there on page eight. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. I'll just stop you there. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Now, let me assure you, if that was a Facebook status update about the birth of a child, that would get very, very few likes. Where's the background colour? Where is the the animals and and the stars? Where is all the drama of the birth itself? Well, those details, the animals and so on and so forth, they're kind of there. They're certainly not the main point. But if you were to reflect on how we as a culture, the Western world, view Christmas, you'll see that, in fact, what we've done is focus entirely on the periphery, missing the major to focus on the minor. Just this week, I went to my second ever nativity play. In Australia, we don't have nativity plays. Maybe it's too hot in Christmas to dress up as sheep. But whatever the case, my son's school had it, so we went along to it. And, of course, there's several things that strike you at a nativity play, aren't there? First of all, um, there's the fact that every single child there must be given at least one line. Because otherwise, all the parents and grandparents are very disappointed. So my son's line was, bah, but that was his line. It was very, very important. The second thing that strikes you at a nativity play is actually how much detail is given to all the surrounding parts of the birth of Jesus, but the birth itself is probably given a sentence or two. As to the reason for the birth, well, there'll be a mention of love or peace or joy, but really one or two sentences. You get more bars and oh than you actually do lines about why Jesus was born. Now, the third thing that you'll notice at every nativity play is every single parent there filming endlessly. You've got every parent there with their iPhone, aunts and uncles, maybe with an iPod. Grandparents in particular, though, seem to love taking photographs with iPads. Have you noticed that before? The older you are, the bigger the screen you need to take a photograph of anything. It's very common for us to focus on the when of Christmas, even the where, without really understanding the why and the who. If you want to see the real drama the real action in the story of Jesus' birth. Just have a look at your Bible again and look at the next few verses. Let me read this out and take particular attention to what the angels say. 
In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. This is a message of good news that brings great joy to whom? To religious people, to good people, to well-behaved people, to rich people, to white people, to black people. No, no, no. To all people. Why is this such a significant announcement? Because of who it is. Unto you is born this day a saviour. And that word saviour means rescuer. The reason this is such an incredible announcement and the reason it has urgent application for your life today, whether you know it or not, is that Jesus was born to rescue. He was actually born to rescue you. Have you ever been rescued before? Growing up in Australia, let me assure you, I have around you know, 10,000 being rescued stories. Generally, they're around my inability to swim. I can swim like a suitcase filled with cement. Okay, I just boom, I sink. I don't swim. When I was a young child, I went to a beach called Avoca. Has anyone ever been to Avoca, the central coast of New South Wales? Beautiful part of the world, if you get a chance. We were there at a beach, very famous, beautiful beach, thousands of people there. And I was around 10 or 11, and I was out swimming. Now, the problem was I couldn't swim. The second problem was that I wasn't old enough or smart enough to know I couldn't swim. So I was 10 or 20 metres out paddling around. My parents, it was the 1980s, parenting as people did in the 1980s, with their backs to us, just facing the other direction. And I'm out there thinking I'm 10 or 20 metres, but I put my head up. And suddenly I realise I'm not 10 or 20 metres out anymore. I'm 30 or 40 metres. I start to freak out a bit. I paddle as hard as I can to get to the shore, A few minutes later, I poke my head up again. Now I'm not 30 or 40 metres out. I'm 60 or 70 metres. I'm caught in what's called a rip. Do you use that word here, a rip? You're stuck in the ocean dragging me. I'm only 10 or 11, but my wee little life starts flashing before my eyes and my head legitimately, I remember it like it was yesterday, starts bobbing up and down under the water and I'm taking on water. Things are grim. When suddenly... I'm struck in the side of the head, gently, I should say, by a surfboard. And this blonde, curly-haired mop of hair pokes its head over and says to me, you're right, mate. Now, at the time, I'm an infant drowning in the ocean. But I wasn't old enough to be sarcastic, so I went, no. And he said, need a hand? In my head, I'm going, what do you reckon? I'm like, yes. His name was probably Bodhi or Jai or some surfer name like that. And he picked me by my board shorts, threw me over his surfboard like a damsel in distress, and then paddled forward and dumped me on the shore before turning around and paddling back the other way. I'm sure that I fell next to my mother. I said, Mum, I nearly drowned. She said, well, don't make such a big song and dance about it. We've all got problems. You know, her inability to focus, let me tell you. It's when you've been rescued from darkness and death that you know how amazing being rescued is. You see, my friends, the promise of Jesus is that he has come to rescue. The question is, who is he rescuing? The answer is you. And if you're not a Christian here today, you might well be struck with the second question, which is, what on earth do I need rescuing from? And this is where the Bible, you know, it 
It's not meant to be used as a binocular to judge other people. The Bible is a mirror that reveals things about yourself. And the Bible tells us that all of us here, regardless of our background, have got something in common. And that is we've all bought into a great lie. All of us, whether you're Northern Irish, Irish, English, Australian, all of us have brought into a lie with enormously significant repercussions. And that lie says this, that who God is and how we treat him doesn't actually matter. Now, that's the lie that was sold in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve, if you know that story. Who God is and how we treat him doesn't actually matter. And the reason this lie is so significant is because who God is does matter. And believe it or not, how you've treated him it matters just as much. When I think back to before I became a Christian and the way that I used to treat God, I'm embarrassed. Because the way I used to treat God, I personally hated when people treated me. Let me tell you three of the ways. The first thing that I would do with God is I would ignore him. Have you ever done that? I'd pretend like he just either didn't exist or if he did exist, he was all the way over there, I'm here and I might see him once or twice a year at Christmas and Easter or really I just wanted to see him on my deathbed and I'd do some sort of deal with him. Now I should have known better than to treat God like that, shouldn't I? Because I hate being ignored, don't you? I'd rather be argued with than ignored. Being ignored means you are of absolute no significance whatsoever. It's the worst feeling of all. And yet, despite the fact that looking around me, I knew God was a God who wanted to be known and wanted to be loved, I treated him like he was an insignificant nothing. The second way I tried to treat God, or I treated God all the time, was that I used him. The only time that I would ever interact with God is when I wanted something. And I'd usually have a prayer like this, God, you do this for me and I will dot, 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 become a missionary to some far-flung distant country like Northern Ireland or something, you know, like some really extreme. God, you do this for me and I'll do something for you. I'll negotiate with you. You give me what I want and I'll pay you some attention. Now, I should have known better than to treat God like that because I hate being used, don't you? Do you know anyone in your life like that? Anyone got any children like that? They send you the text message or the call. They'll get in touch when they want something, but the rest of the time, you know, they're not interested whatsoever. In fact, when they get in touch, you're like, what do they want now? I hate being used. But worst of all, what did it tell me about how I actually thought of God? It actually thought, it revealed that I thought God was so stupid, he was so oblivious, so easy to fool, that he couldn't tell that I was trying to manipulate him. That God was so moronic that he couldn't tell I was insincere. The final way I tried to treat God, or I did treat God, was worse still. I tried to pretend I knew what I didn't know. Do you know anyone like that? Someone who pretends to be an expert about something they have absolutely no idea about, and you do? I once sat next to a guy at a dinner party who was a car salesman. I had been in the army for nine years at this stage. I was a captain in the army. I was an instructor at the recruit training establishment, and I told him such. He proceeded to lecture me about the ins and outs of the Australian army, specifically recruit training for 30 minutes, He was a used car salesman. I sat there thinking, you, I won't tell you what I thought. I thought, you bore. You're boring. 
I hate when people pretend they know what they don't know. And yet I had no problem whatsoever telling God how he should run his world. I had no problem whatsoever hearing what God said about life and saying, you fool, I know better than you. Now the thing is, it would absolutely stagger me if as I've gone through those three ways of treating God, you can't recognise a parallel in your own life. It would absolutely stagger me as we've talked through those things, you can't recognise, hold on, I do the exact same thing. We all treat God like he doesn't matter. And yet the truth is he does. And here's why the birth of Jesus is good news of great joy. Because Jesus has come to rescue you from that lie. He's come to rescue you from the consequences of that lie. Because what we deserve for treating God that way is punishment. Truthfully, it is. But this baby in this manger, 33 years later, he'd moved from a different piece of wood, the manger, to another one, the cross. Jesus would die to rescue you. He was born to rescue you and he died to rescue you. Why? Because on the cross, God took the punishment that I deserve, my anger, my adultery, my violence, my hatred, your what? Dot, dot, dot. Pettiness, petulance, patheticness, anger, hatred, the things that all bond us together. Jesus took all of those things from us and took the punishment we deserve. You know, it's one thing to miss the point about something really insignificant like the Giant's Causeway, isn't it? But it's something else entirely to miss the point about something with eternal significance. It's very possible that if you've missed the point about Christmas, in so doing, you've actually missed the point about life itself. How many of us spend our times hustling and bustling, believing that if we achieve our goals and dreams, we live in the what-if universe, what if I do this, what if I do that, or maybe the if-only universe, if only I achieve this, if only I accomplish that, then we'll get the peace and joy and contentment we want in life. My friends, if you're living that way, you're missing the point of life. God has hardwired you only to find your meaning in him. And God sent Jesus to rescue you from being a stranger of him to being his child. I can say without really meeting any of you at all that the most important thing about you is not that you're from Ulster or Belfast. The most important thing about you is not that you work in the city. It's not your family status. It's not your history. It's not even your future. The most important thing about you is whether you have a relationship with God. And Jesus has come to earth so you can, no matter what you've done or where you've been, what you've seen or what you've said. So this Christmas, don't miss the point. Don't get so wrapped up in the presents, the food, the festivity, the fun. Those things are wonderful. God wants us to have fun. Don't get so wrapped up in the nativity plays and all these kinds of things and in so doing lose sight of what it's really about. Christianity is as its core a massive rescue operation for you. Now, if in my life I've treated, let's say, Sam, I've known him for a long time and I've treated him by bossing him around, by ignoring him, by manipulating him, and I realise I've been doing that and I realise that it's wrong, what should I do? Well, I should say sorry, shouldn't I? 
If I was any sort of good bloke, I'd go, mate, I'm really sorry. Can you forgive me? And that's exactly what it's like with God. What God wants from you is for you to understand what you've done and say sorry. And then we know what his response will be. It is always, always, always a gracious, yes, I forgive you. Welcome home. And so to end my time today, I'm actually going to pray. Now, you might never have prayed before or not be really a prayer. It's nothing magical. It's not Harry Potter. It's just ordinary people speaking to God. And if you are a prayer, um, well, you know what it is. But I ask everyone now, uh, why don't we bow our heads and shut our eyes as we talk to God. And if you want to pray this prayer, why don't you pray along with me in your heart as I do so. Let me pray. Dear Father, I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for treating you like a stranger, for treating you like you don't exist. I'm sorry for trying to live my life my own way. I'm sorry for my sin. Lord, I realise now that Jesus was born, not by accident, not so we can get presents or a good feed. He was born to rescue me. Father, rescue me. Thank you for Jesus' death on the cross. Forgive me, Lord. And give me the courage, the strength and your spirit to walk with you as my Lord and my King. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for listening to me. I really, really appreciate it. I'm going to invite Sam up now. I just wanted to recommend one thing as he's coming up, which is take this home with you, this gospel biography of, of Luke. It's a great book. Oh, yeah, it's better than any other book you're going to get at Christmas. I guarantee it. And why don't you challenge yourself to give it a read um, and ask yourself the question, not as if this is true, but what if? What if this is true? Thank you very much. Thanks, Sam. Thank